everyone and Happy New Year. We wish you the best in 2023 and hope it will bring about global peace and security with regime change in Iran. I would also like to say Happy New Year to all our listeners and wish you well-being and prosperity in the new year. In this last episode of 2022, we'll have an overview of a method the clerical regime most commonly used in the recent uprising to evade accountability for the murder of protesters. Of course, we're going to focus on the cases of women. We hope this will be another illuminating episode shedding light on the atrocities of the Iranian regime, aiding us in bringing justice to the victims and their families. days of the Iran uprising, we have frequently run into cases where the deaths of protesters have been officially attributed to accidents, suicides, chronic diseases, etc. Behnaz Afshari was a college student killed in the protests in Pakdasht, but it was officially announced that she was killed in an accident. Ghazal Qasemi, a 26-year-old woman working in an animal store, was killed by security forces with the blows of batons, but officially claimed to have died in a car accident. Fershta Ahmadi, the mother of two young children, was shot in the chest by security forces while standing on the balcony of her house. Still, the government said she was shot from inside her house and pressured her father and brother to endorse this scenario. Kobra Sheikhe was shot by the random shooting of security forces into people's houses. Government forces subsequently broke into the house, filmed the place and interviewed her husband. Later, however, they censored the interview and mixed it with statements by the governor, pretending that the protesters had shot Mrs. Sheikhe. In the case of Neda Shebani, a sports coach, they extracted forced confessions from her and aired them on TV as if she was planning a bombing plot. The blows of batons killed Nasrin Qadiri, but the regime said she had been poisoned by drinking alcoholic beverages. There are many more cases that would take a long time to list. In this episode, we open up just a few instances. The most recent case was the case of Dr. Aida Rostami, who, with her colleagues, went house to house and treated those wounded in the protests. Dr. Aida Rostami was a selfless and humanitarian doctor, only 36 years old. Our listeners might have heard that many of those wounded in the protests don't go to a hospital for treatment because the intelligence services and plainclothes agents abduct the wounded from their hospital beds. That was the case during the November 2019 uprising and what they also did during the 1980s. So every protester wounded during the protest does not go to a hospital. They stay home and ask a trusted doctor to visit them at home. Dr. Aida Rostami was a trusted doctor who saw patients in Ekbatan district, one of the hotbeds of protests in Tehran. On Monday, the 12th of December, she was visiting patients when she realized she had finished her bandage and gauze. So she went out to get some from a pharmacy, but never returned. At noon on Tuesday, they called her family from the police station and informed them that Ida had died in a car accident the night before and that they had to go to Tehran's main cemetery, Beheshta Zahra, to receive her body. The forensics office had been ordered to write the reason for death 
as being struck by a hard object in an accident. They didn't want to show the body to the family, but the family insisted on seeing it. When they opened up the wrapping, the family was shocked to see Dr. Rostami with a smashed face and nose, broken arms and an unnucleated eye. Her body was also bruised in the lower part, indicating the scars of a sexual assault. Obviously, she had been killed under torture. The police, however, have yet to show the place of the accident or Ida's car to her family. The circumstances of Dr. Rostami's death outraged the public, so the judiciary came out and gave an explanation. The judiciary said Dr. Ida Rostami had thrown herself from a pedestrian bridge after arguing with a man they said was her boyfriend. The case of Dr. Aida Rustami is one of the latest cases of the regime's false narratives about the deaths of protesters. Since the beginning of the protests in Iran, in mid-September, the Iranian authorities have been spreading false reports to cover up their role in the deaths of young protesters. I'm sure everyone remembers that the Iranian officials denied every responsibility for the death of Masa Amini, who died due to brain death and internal bleeding. They said her death was due to a chronic disease, while her family's lawyer said the bleeding from the back of her neck and ear was due to external trauma. And her father said she never had any illness. He said the officials had not provided any answer on the reason for her daughter's death. They passed him around from one agency to the other. I should also add that Masa Amini's family, her father, brother, cousins, and others have been pressured not to talk to the media about Masa's death. We also had the case of Sarina Ismailzadeh. Everyone worldwide is now familiar with the unique facial and personal character of Sarina Esmailzadeh. She was a brilliant and energetic girl who recorded everything she did and posted it on YouTube. The initial reports on Sarina's death were that she had been killed under the blows of batons to her head during a protest in her hometown, Mehshar, on the 21st of September. The Iranian authorities, however, announced that Sarina had committed suicide by throwing herself from the fifth floor of a building adjacent to her grandmother's residence. Then they brought a woman on state TV and said she was Sarina's mother, a woman who was calm and completely in control of herself, despite the terrible loss of such a lovely daughter. She said Serena was not opposed to the forced hijab and was preoccupied with her studies and would not participate in such protests. Statements were in contrast with all the videos left by Serena and are still available on her YouTube channel. Everyone on social media questioned whether the woman was Serena's mother, since all her photos and videos showed someone else accompanying her. Also examine the case of 17-year-old Nika Shakarami. The state television aired a program in which Nika's aunt and uncle said Nika had committed suicide by throwing herself from the top of a building in their neighborhood. 
Nika's aunt and uncle had been arrested and forced under torture to make false confessions and cooperate with the official scenario. Nika's death certificate indicated that she had been killed due to consecutive blows of a hard object to her head. Security forces did not allow her mother to see her body, only her face. Nika's mother said she could see damage to her face and nose, which had been smashed, but her body was intact. She also argued that the CCTV footage shown by the state television was unclear and could not prove that Nika was the girl going into the building. Nika's mother rejects the official narrative of her daughter's death and demands clarification of all the ambiguities in her case. Nika's mother says she was fearless and outspoken, opposed the morality police and wanted to express the grievances of her generation during the protests. She had talked to her mother several times during the day and told her where she was and what she was doing. Her mother said she was not a depressed girl but wanted to bring about change. Dozens of more cases of the regime covering up the murder of protesters with similar excuses, but we cannot get into them because of the limited time in this podcast. We want to emphasize the tremendous pressure the regime imposes on the victims' families to remain silent or to appear on TV and make false confessions. Otherwise, their other children would end up with the same fate. Amnesty International had this to say about Nika and Serena's family, and I quote, Intelligence and security forces have subjected the girls' families to intense harassment and intimidation to coerce them into recording video statements reiterating the official narrative that their children committed suicide by jumping off a roof. Amnesty International also documented the case of Amir Mehdi Farrokhipur, the 70-year-old boy who died on the 28th of September from gunshot wounds in his chest. While intelligence officials forced his father to record a video stating that his son died during a car accident, threatening to kill or otherwise harm his daughters if he refused. We had the same situation with Daya Nazmdeh, whose father was forced to say that she had died in a car accident, or in the case of Arnika Ghaem Maghami, who was in a coma for 10 days due to the blows of batons to her head. They brought her father, or someone acting as her father, on state TV, saying that she had committed suicide by throwing herself off the window of her bedroom, and her death was not in any way related to the protests. see, the Iranian authorities are systematically harassing and intimidating victims' families to hide the truth. Such despicable methods further underline the scale and depravity of the Iranian authorities' crackdown and provide further proof that all avenues for truth and justice are closed at the domestic level. The latest wave of protest killings is rooted in a deep crisis of systemic impunity for the most serious crimes under international law that has long prevailed in Iran 
and which, given the scale and severity of past and ongoing human rights violations, has not been sufficiently addressed by the Human Rights Council and other human rights agencies. We conclude today's episode by urging you to support the Iranian people's uprising for freedom. Please urge your governments to recognize the Iranian people's right to regime change and to defend themselves against such a ruthless regime. Urge your governments to condition all relations with the Iranian regime on end to executions, the release of all detained protesters and improve human rights in Iran. Please urge them to shut down the regime's embassies in your country and recall your ambassador from Iran. The clerical regime in Iran only understands the language of force, and in this way, it will be compelled to stop the persecution of the Iranian people and women. We'll see you soon with another episode of the NCRI Women's Committee podcasts. Please remember to visit our website, women.ncr-iran.org, for the latest updates on Iranian women's struggle for freedom and equality. Once again, we wish you the best and a very happy new year.